Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Huatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who has a deadly addiction to science. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, absolutely, I am addicted <laughs> to science. It's a to deadly addiction. Detriment. Let's be clear here. It's, it's a deadly addiction. deadly addiction. I am just, uh, here's the thing. I figure that if there are people in this country who don't want to get vaccinated, I should just, I should vaccinate, take all the vaccinations that they're not using and put them into myself just to keep that herd, menta- that herd immunity uh, on average up. Like, because uh, that's how that works, right? That totally is and, how it works. Uh, yeah. I like the idea, <laughs> like, that's got to be a horror movie, right? Like that exists, right? Like a dude who took like ten times the vaccinations he's supposed to, and turns into like some sort of weird plague monster or something. Um, completely, complete digression here. I will say, uh, I uh, a few months ago had a conversation with an uncle of mine whose granddaughter has a severely uh, deadly peanut allergy. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, in conversation, he suggested, and, and this is a very intelligent man, he's a computer engineer, uh, someone I, I very much respect intellectually, uh, and he suggested in conversation that her symptoms did not appear until after her first vaccination. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, said something to suggest a correlation there. And I said, well, hold on. I think I think you might just let's think about this in broader senses. Uh, I think there are more people with deadly peanut allergies alive today because of vaccinations, uh, but also because of knowledge about deadly peanut allergies. If your granddaughter were born even 30 years ago, she would have just died at six months old and it would have been SIDS and no one ever would have known that she had a peanut allergy and that right. killed her. Well, and then also combine that with the fact that, like, your average one-and-a-half-year-old encounters yeah. a pretty limited amount of peanuts. Right. Uh, and this is on purpose. This is a purposeful choice made by a huge <laughs> swath of the industry that makes things for babies. Right. To avoid things that they know, on average, kill babies. Right. Um, because, you know, by the time you're a certain age, you have enough time to get that little thing to a hospital right. uh, another uh, one of the an example of this is eggs um, another example of this is at least in Japan is uh, buckwheat buckwheat is a very very common ingredient in Japanese food that Japanese baby item manufacturers and all Japanese parents avoid like the plague up to a certain yeah. age because that straight up shit that shit will straight up kill you yeah. And if you're if you're small enough of a human being, you will not make it to the hospital. Right after a certain age, around the time that you can walk and talk, which also happens to be the time where you can get vaccinations, and you know you are now a three year old or a four year old, a toddler, is also the time that we introduce those foods because guess what, you won't die anymore, and it's also worth knowing that you have the allergy. So kind of the only way to find out is, you know try right and then be like right. and just be ready to drive to the hospital just you know yeah. they can do tests and stuff and if one of the parents has it they'll te- you know there's a whole thing but like it's the, it's the same problem with like the the whole autism thing always has been right. which is like yeah right. again you don't notice it because the person was not a walking talking human being before yeah. that right and they uh and the fact that there seem to be more diagnoses of uh autism is jointly that diagnosis has become uh, easier and easier, more exact, more common, more accurate. Yeah, yeah. and uh, same with and, peanut allergies. Absolutely, like right. oh, like we we avoid giving we avoid giving two month olds yeah. anything with peanut and, dust in it. And also, infant mortality has dropped. Right. So yeah, most of the babies make it now. So oh, yeah. wait a minute, there's awful lot of people here who have peanut allergies. Right. Right. Oh, goodness gracious. So, anyway, all that to say, this week we're talking about a movie where the director said, I wanted to make a documentary and a horror film. So he made... And then, and he, then let's be clear here. Gave up on not, the second part. He failed to make a horror early. film, but, but did a make a... Pretty interesting documentary. 
did make a documentary where the uh, the progenitor of uh, uh, anesthesia uh, is a madman. So. Well, so this sent me down a weird rabbit hole in this movie. Like, I know we should finish the introduction of the movie, but like, <laughs> yeah, I probably. started looking up the history of anesthesia is really, really freaking interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there's like there's, this person is in the list, but there's like 800 of these people, and a lot of and a lot of them get addicted to opium. Believe it or not. Weird. <laughs> Crazy. A high, Crazy a really how... high number of them get addicted to opium. I don't know how that happened. Crazy how uh, inhaling uh, ether on a regular basis yeah, will get, yeah, you, yeah. get you addicted to opium. Before we get into what is really just one of the more ridiculous movies we've watched in a no, very long time, really, and that is definitely that. saying something for oh, the yeah, string of movies we're coming off of, um, uh, I do want to talk yeah. about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you get access to a non-Criterion bonus episode, and you get to vote on what movie we're going to watch for that bonus episode. As I said, it's always a non-Criterion film. Uh, sometimes we cheat a little and use Eclipse films. Uh, from that, we watched Louis Malle's, uh fantastic documentary, God's Country. Uh, but more often than not, it is just me coming up with some weirdly sometimes related uh, to uh, films we've watched that month on the main podcast, sometimes not. Just some list where all of the movies have... A, uh, a connecting factor, but sometimes those connecting factors maybe only exist in my head. Yeah, no, they, that definitely happens a fair amount uh, where I'm like, I don't know what's happening yeah, here. Just have no idea what the correlation. Uh, movies we've watched recently over there, uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, which is a phenomenally funny movie that yes, I really is. love. Um, what else have we watched? Uh, God's Country was fairly recent. Uh, we started off this year with uh, Ready Player One. Uh, which was I was actually surprised at how good, how much I liked Ready Player One. I I, I, I was fully I, expecting I to fully hate Ready Player One. That I like Ready Player One. I, yeah. I, I do. Like I like the book uh, better, but I like the movie. Yeah, we've watched uh, just a just a real eclectic mix. Our friend Stephen Goldmeyer uh, started supporting us on Patreon solely so that he could vote for us to watch. Uh, uh, his favorite movie, uh, which he ends up guesting on the episode for, uh, Now You See Me. Um, we have also watched what what the tagline of our podcast claims is Pat and I's favorite movie, and that is uh, less and less true in our old age, I think. I mean, I <laughs> but still we have love watched Hudson Hawk over I still there. Like I still it love a watching Hudson Hawk, but I. I more and more realize the problems of Hudson Hawk every well, time yeah, I watch I mean, it. That's but. true. Uh, but it, I, it does I great as a it. TBS movie in the middle yeah. of the day. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, we have watched uh, just a, a real great mix of stuff over there. Some really terrible movies, some really great movies, and we have a lot of fun with it. So for a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Criterion, you can get in on that. Uh, we offer a couple other tiers for a little extra $5 a month. All we really add is thanking that person on air. But we are very grateful for the people who have bumped yes, up to are. that. Adam Speakerman and Kevin Little, who have been supporting us at $5 a month for a while now. Uh, a little above that, we do something that I really think is very special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently, usually from the main podcast, but not always. Um, and I get that art printed up on a postcard. Write a personalized note and mail that off to our $10 and above supporters. And we also like to thank those guys on air. So thank you to Jason Westhaver and to Michael McGrath yes, thank you for so your much. continued $10 and above supports. We're just, yeah, very grateful for that. Again, patreon.com slash lost in criterion if you want to get involved there. We, uh, we definitely, definitely appreciate the support. This week, we are talking about Corridors of Blood. It is the final film in our Monsters and Mad Men box set, a box set dedicated to films uh, produced by uh, Richard and Alex Gordon. 
Uh, Richard Gordon also produced Fiend Without a Face, which we watched uh, many years ago as part of the podcast. Uh, their production company, which I believe is called Amalgamated Pictures. Yes, that um, is correct. Yeah. Uh, these uh, these films all came out of Amalgamated, uh, both in 58 and one in 59. Uh, three quarters of them directed by Robert Day, including today's. Uh, last week we watched uh, <laughs> The Haunted Strangler. <laughs> yes, Not we did. called... Not called the Judas Hole. Are you sure it's not called the Judas Hole? I think it's called the Judas. <laughs> it Hole. was. It was the original title, but it is not. It is not <laughs> the release title. Uh, the Haunted Strangler starred Boris Karloff, and after they made the Haunted Strangler, uh, Robert Day wanted to work with Boris Karloff again, so they got Corridors of Blood, and Boris Karloff returns. Uh, this is the. This Even more confusingly named than, Ho- yes. than Haunted Strangler. So uh, at one stage, they wanted uh, Richard Gordon wanted to do a color remake of Dracula, uh, and then uh, at one stage, this movie was an adaptation of the Poe short story, "The Facts of the Case of M. Valdemar." Uh, which is about a, so, a so wait mesmerizer. A is this just like we're just desperately trying to find a vehicle by which we can cast Karloff and we just don't even care? Basically. We just, we just want to make a movie with him and we just yeah. we, we just do not give a flying fuck what it is as long as it's right. him. Okay, that's um, fine. I'm cool. I'm I'm on board. I just want to so be sure. One of the other producers, uh, John Scott discovered a screenplay by someone named Gene Scott Rogers uh, called Doctor from Seven Dials. And Seven Dials is a poor area of London, uh, and it was about the early days of anesthesia. Uh, I don't know that it was meant to be a horror film. I don't think it was. I don't know that it shared anything with this movie besides the Uh, uh, anesthesia angle. Well, it did, because I watched... I watched the little follow-up documentary thing, yeah, and they talk specifically about how this is based on a true story, loosely okay. based on a true story, which is Very based on that book. Based. Yeah, yeah. That that was actually one of their main goals. That they like. I wasn't. Yeah. It doesn't seem like when you talk when they talk about it, it doesn't seem like that was a main goal. But they were like pretty happy that that came that 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 was true. If that makes sense. Like it, their 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 description of it was confusing, in that like it's hard to say like we desperately wanted to make this like based on a true story thing, yeah. but like they seem pretty proud of the fact that it was based on a true thing. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not great. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, I, but it is, it is simultaneously the thing I appreciate most about it, right? Is the fact that right. it is that it is this thing and not what it could have been, <laughs> right? Uh, so Christopher Lee also co-stars in this movie. Um, interestingly enough, uh, one of Christopher Lee's very next films, and he was making like seven films a year at this point, so so not the next thing he worked on, right? But, uh, because that's impossible. The very, yeah, the very next year, uh, Christopher Lee uh, debuted as uh, the uh, <laughs> you know every couple of years, every every two decades or so, MGM tries to reboot all its monster series. Yep, uh, and uh, the nineteen fifty nine version of the Mummy. Uh, was one such attempt to reboot the Mummy franchise, starring Christopher Lee as the titular Mummy. Okay. Uh, though technically a different Mummy than the one Boris Karloff portrayed in the 30s. Oh, MGM sure, film. of course. Uh, well, in the in the original Mummy movies, uh, the Mummy's name was Imhotep, and is loosely, very loosely, based on the actual pharaoh, Imhotep. Uh Whereas, uh, moving forward after that, the mummy is given a different name that I cannot remember 
offhand Carmack yeah, or something I, like that. I don't. I don't know. Um, probably based partially on Karloff's name, whatever it is. Uh, and Chris Ridley would name that. However, the uh, the characters both have the the exact same backstory. <laughs> <laughs> they okay. are they are obviously meant to be the same mummy. They just changed the name for whatever reason. Uh, Copyright. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Imhotep, the yeah. Imhotep estate sued yeah, for defamation. I was like, oh, you can't do that. And <laughs> they are notorious litigious, notoriously yeah, litigious, yeah. like the the Tolkien estate. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the Imhoteps and the and the Tolkens right yeah. there. Anyway, so we have we have two men that very famously played MGM's mummy. Uh, both starring in this movie, though calling Christopher Lee's role in this movie a starring role is very—it's a little, it's a that's yeah. a little, it's a bit of a stretch. But he yeah. is a a side character at best. Uh, he is the henchman of a side character. At yes, best. <laughs> but he does commit all of the murders that happen in this movie. This is true, so. which I think you should be very proud of. Yes, considering it's meant to be a lead, horror film, lead murderer. Is the lead murderer in, in, in air quotes horror movie? <laughs> yes, yes. That's as I said. Day wanted this to be a documentary slash horror film, and the he documentary, got documentary. He got it. The documentary bits are are at least I enjoy semi accurate. I mean, <laughs> it's obviously dramatized pretty intensely, yeah. but like, there's. I was expecting this movie to break at any moment into full horror, and it never did it, yeah. and I really appreciated that. Right, I appreciate right. spending the entire movie going, so when does this turn into a horror movie? And <laughs> right, never, right. and like, the beauty of not giving me that was pretty great. Like, yeah. as, as far as movies go, like, you can, like, create the idea that you can create a movie. Where your entire audience is going, so when does this turn into a horror movie? And it <laughs> yeah. just never does. When does this go it's terribly beautiful. wrong? Why isn't the science going terribly wrong? Yeah, when is he going to create, like, and even the description. If you read, like, the the product description for it, it's, like, discovers a terrible lesson about blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, he's going to turn into a monster. Right. But no, which is amazing. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love. I. I. I legitimately. Re- and then you look at you look at the fucking poster for it. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is about oh, the a- Criterion. The Criterion cover. Even the Criterion just- cover is good. The original cover is like really horror. Yeah. Horror. Horror. Right. And it's just not that, and it's beautiful. And I love the it name so much. Corridors of Blood, which has. Yeah. No bearing on the No, it has nothing to do with anything. I love everything. This is like, it's like somebody reached back from like 1959 and trolled all of us. Yeah. And it's kind of amazing. It's like the original, it's like, it's, it's wild. And, and like, then you get into it and you start thinking like, and it's like, that was a pretty good movie. Yeah. Like beyond, beyond what it is, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. Um so so things that it gets wrong historically, uh blatantly wrong. Uh it did kind of pull me out that he was using nitrous oxide when eighteen forties anesthesia is definitely just ether. Well uh, um did some investigation oh, you, you into did, that. You did some deep reads. What do we the got? The person who discovered that ether were it was it was actually okay, so there's many, 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 many people, okay? Like yeah. anesthesia number one. The the one doctor in this movie who's like, we'll never find a solution. You're full of shit. Like, no, people have been actively just working on and discovering workable solutions for anesthesia for a long, long time. Yeah. Like, this is ancient. Like, we're talking about Egyptian era shit, okay? Right. Like, Imhotep. Uh, yes, yeah, right. People have discovered multiple solutions, right? Like, I mean, People who had access to marijuana plants discovered very, very quickly that, like, hey, look at this. We've got we've got anesthesia. Um, it's not perfect, but we'll function as that. Uh, whereas, um, but the guy who in the United States was a dentist, but in, like, you know, 1800s dentist where he did surgery, yeah. right? Discover, who, who started working with ether and made a name for himself in Boston having, like, being the person who could pull your tooth without pain. Okay. Then discover that oh, like I should expand this. I should actually pursue the idea that like we could help people with this beyond just becoming wildly rich by myself. 
uh, also experimented with another man with nitri- nitrous oxide. And that was like 1847. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize nitrous had any experimentation that early. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I'm like, I'm remembering from what I read, but like, yeah. it was, so, it was astonishingly early. Interesting. Like this, interesting. And, it, and notably a dentist. Yeah. Which is like kind of hilarious, which right? is great too. Yeah, yeah. like uh, yeah, it's it's apparently like had it, it is not as old as ether, but old enough. Uh, yeah, like uh, considerations of the medical use and production of factitious errors is from seventeen ninety four, and the first time it was used as an anesthesia was by yeah yeah here's the here's the people it was eighteen forty four. Uh, he experimented with for dental extraction. Yeah, and the first Man. public demonstration was 1845 in Boston by this guy, uh, which is wild. Like I, that's why I dug into it. I was like, because like they, in the intro they're like 1840 before the invention of anesthesia. I was like, wait a minute, hold here, hold the phone. Here's here. something actually. <clears throat> nitrous oxide uh, got its nickname laughing gas. Uh, prior to 1799, yeah, from the parties, everyone yeah, thought, people, yeah, everyone yeah. thought it was, uh, everything thought it was lethal because other, other nitrogen oxides are, uh, and Humphrey Davy decided to experiment on himself, uh, and found that it made him, made him laugh. So he called it laughing gas. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, but no one at the time pursued its, uh, anesthesia quality. Well, because they noted it, it, that. It, it, People were working, they were doing laughing gas parties, and, you know, like, that's a weird leap to make, right? Like, yeah. to realize, yeah. oh, I also won't notice that I'm being stabbed right now. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, that is all very interesting. Uh, the timing's right for surgical use, uh, first being introduced in 1840s, which is the timing of our movie. Right. Um. As far as ether goes, surgical right. use of, the, the of, main The main issue yeah. with the movie is not so much the timing is right for everything. It's more that um, this is a field that, like, all doctors were interested in. You know what right. I mean? Like, and, and the idea that there was a whole group of doctors in this movie who would laugh you or out of Literally the every other doctor in London is just laughing at this guy. Right, which is – that's patently untrue. Like, just that's just not accurate. Like, because if you, th- if you walked around saying, like, guys, I might have an answer – they would be automatically interested in what you had to say. Yeah. Um, but it is based on a truth because, like, but dudes getting addicted to opium while they're trying to figure this out is pretty, seems pretty par for the course. Uh, as far as I can tell. But then again, it seems like a fair number of doctors got addicted to opium in this era. Just anyway. <laughs> right. Like, it was just a right. thing. Like, it's like, you know, that's what you prescribe, and you guys haven't, and we haven't quite sorted out. Listen, like there was, it's automatically addictive. This is definitely a time where where drug addiction was not uh, not recognized, right? Uh, you know, we are we are what six decades away from uh, opiates starting to fall out of common usage in right, yeah, commercially I mean, available over the counter products like right. soda. Exactly. Uh, like we're we're still talking about a time period where like like in that same article I was reading it was like and then and then, you know, making salves with cocaine in them to like for yeah. for the it's like well, yeah, this was just that time period, right? Like everybody was essentially walking around addicted to opioids for a pretty heavy amount of time, it seems like. Yeah. From like childhood too. Like oh yeah, I was I've been, I've been pretty into cocaine since I was eight. And I had that tooth pulled. Yeah. Of course, uh, it's weird, though, because uh, while while uh, everyone's just like general, just cocaine is everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it's probably racist, but heroin dens are still viewed as, as uh, you know, oh, negative things, right? it's super racist. Let's be real yeah. clear here. Yeah. This is... All right. Keep in mind, like, you know, we see it in Sherlock Holmes and stuff like that, opium dens and stuff like that. Yeah. There's this weird, like, line of separation that is totally racist based on, like, if your doc, like, and we still get this today, where it's like, oh, yeah. well, the doctors have prescribed it. I'm not 
I'm genteel, so I get it prescribed by my doctor. I'm not a bad person, right? Whereas I'm just a dude who's addicted to it right. is a bad – you know what I mean? Like, and of there's course, that, there's of that course, weird line that we draw – that people draw even now. Even, right? like, why do we have to have Even a now with various illegal drugs, right? Yeah. And, like, you know, the entire reason the U.S. government made marijuana illegal is because it was seen as a Mexican drug as opposed to alcohol, which it is safer than. Or the 1990s uh, anti-drug bills that criminalized crack cocaine, a derivative of cocaine, at a harsher rate than actual cocaine. So, and we and yeah. we and we're we're now right now as a society dealing pretty heavily with the fact of just just how intensely racially motivated that was. I mean, it's a thing people have known for a long time was racially motivated, but like it's finally kind of in right the night the time that this is being recorded, that's getting the press that it should have gotten, I guess, twenty years ago. Yeah, at all sorts of times in the past. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, twenty years like that. That's yeah. a that's a tilde right there. That that's twenty years until right. today. Right. Right. Uh but yeah. Uh corridors of blood. <laughs> yeah. Our doctor finally convinces the I love the poster for this because it's all uh it frames it frames Boris Karloff's doctor as doing uh uh terrible experiments. Oh yeah, people. No, absolutely. Yeah, uh, where our well, doctor, our doctor finally convinces somebody that uh, convinces the rest of his doctors that no, this will work, and he's going to show them how well it works. And then the guy he was going to have it work on uh, died. Dies. Yeah, just dies of a stroke. Of a stroke before before he can even administer nitrous. Uh, so they just randomly choose another guy. Without his consent, try to gas him, and he reacts negatively. No surprise. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like we get into this. Okay, well, we, I mean, a thing we're gonna have to talk about is just how bad at science Boris Karloff's character is. Right. Um. On on multiple. Levels. I mean, there's a whole ethics thing. I mean, we can get into that, but like, we probably you basically summed it. Of course, up this is also a time is, where the medical profession was not exactly interested in ethics. So right. Also true. Uh, my issue is more that like, if the the things I read about the the experimentations in anesthesia always bring up animals, because if you're going to run experiments on something you're hoping will make somebody totally incensed, you probably want to be able to actually keep records, yeah, and know what's going on. Whereas this dumbass, uh, is just. Giving himself a thing that he hopes will make him not feel pain. Right. But the thing is, is you need to be aware enough to actually administer pain to yourself to check and see if it's working. Right. So it's like this dooms, this dude is failed, uh, doomed to fail right from the start. Because, like, best case scenario, he finds the thing he needs, passes out at his desk, wakes up in the morning and goes, well, well... Guess I'll have to try something else. Yeah. Because, like, you're not going to discuss... Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, how do you think this is going to work out, dude? We talked in the last movie about all the peripheral characters being really dumb. (laughs) Whereas our main character here is really dumb. Well, I also had that moment of thinking about the peripheral characters being really dumb in, in the course of this movie. Because the way they actually discover that Nitrous works is that... He gets high on his own supply because he's abusing it actively. Goes on a rampage in his lab, cuts himself, and then his daughter discovers that he doesn't feel the pain in his hand being cut. From his his mad rampage, yes. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. But But never questions the mad rampage or the fact that he is clearly abusing nitrous. Yeah, no, very clearly. Well, and it's, it's, you know, it's this whole thing because it gets bad when he starts, when he actually starts putting you know, opium in it. And it's, it's and at that point, he's just inhaling right. opium fumes, which is, right. well, right. which is exactly right. what happens in an opium den anyway. Right. Like, what did he think was going to happen? He's bad at science and all of his family members are dumb. <laughs> like, uh, yes. it's just, it's sad because like, 
this is one of the things I like about this movie, and it was going to be my comment about it before I discovered it wasn't a horror movie, before I got all the way to the end, yeah. is the fact that the character is truly and honestly sympathetic rather than like the manufactured sympathetic that we get right. in a lot of horror movies where you're like, oh, I, I mean, like even in the last movie we watched with uh, Haunted Strangers, Haunted Strangler. I just wanted to call yeah. it Haunted Strangers, which is like guess, <laughs> a different movie. Um, where you try to manufacture a sympathetic uh, character, right? Because, but like, he's still going to be a murderer. Well, like, you don't get that in this movie. He's just not a murderer. Like, it's right. He's just a dude who very a mis very misguided guy who is trying to help people, right? And that is a that is always going to be a fascinating character type because it's like this is a person with very good intentions that is ruining his own life uh right. because he's bad at science but like you know but but also is the sort of guy who is so singularly obsessed with an idea that does actually work but that the world is telling him doesn't work and he is drowning that problem right in in addiction as well right absolutely so it's you know, he he is a sympathetic character, and then yeah, that's just fascinating to me. Like that, I like movies. I like yeah. movies with sympathetic characters. This is this is a movie that, despite all the advertising, Karlo- Boris Karloff is not playing a villain. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely not. And 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 is doing a very good job of being the character he's supposed to right. be. I right. I really admire a lot about this movie. It is just weird that it is built as a horror movie, right? Because there's right. there's there's zero percent of this movie that is scary. Like even, right. I mean, I guess uh, very, very high level into our uh, existential level, there's the fear of becoming addicted to things that on accident, <laughs> right. I guess, is a thing that you can experience. Um, but beyond that, it's just it's just not a horror movie. And that's okay because it's a otherwise pretty enjoyable movie. Um, but yeah, I just, I found it really fascinating. I really, I was really enamored with this movie throughout like, because I just, it was n- in no way what I was expecting. Right. And that's, you know, you talk about how you keep expecting it to, to be a horror film. Uh, that's the ending of this movie is something else I loved because uh, he is destitute. He is addicted. Uh, he is murdered. Mm-hmm. And then the film ends with a postscript about, oh, he was right all the time. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> know. And then, like, with the whole, like, case of his, like, anesthesia supplies in the, in the lab. I, lo- I yeah. love I love it all. I love I love everything about that. Like, this is just so, like, maybe the only way they could get funding was pretending it was a horror movie. Maybe. Like, oh, you guys make horror movies, right? Like, well, you know, this is a horror movie. The horror yep. of not being believed. Uh, MGM, by the way, uh, originally released this in a double feature with a movie called Werewolf in the Girl's Dormitory. Yeah, An Italian import uh, produced in 61 because they did not get, this movie didn't get a release in America until 62. Um, Which, like, can you imagine going, like, I want you to process, Adam. That experience, the experience of going to the to the drive-in for a Karloff film, which you're going to automatically assume is a horror movie, yeah, and and one that is very clearly like, well, I mean, you know, werewolves in the girls' dormitory, you know what you're getting there, right? Uh, and then getting this, <laughs> like, I mean, you and I enjoyed that experience. I'm gonna guess your average moviegoer did not. Almost certainly not. Uh, in the interview, Day talks about how he got more money for this movie than any any movie previously, uh, both Fiend Without a Face and uh, The Haunted Strangler uh, had budgets significantly lower than this one. Uh, he also talks about how they poured all of almost all of that money into the sets and like the street scenes, right? <laughs> and it shows because it's yeah. really good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah it's uh 
he wanted to make a documentary slash horror film, and he didn't make either. And that's just... Well, I mean, no. Yeah, I mean, but he got much closer to the documentary than he did to the horror yeah. film. Like, I mean, yeah. it, it is... It is a it is a historical drama essentially, right? Which is which is a weird second cousin to documentary, documentary right? Yeah, like, um, and as such, is much closer to that than 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 horror because again, there's no horror in this movie at all. Yeah, and that's I mean honestly, the early days of anesthesia and surgery prior to anesthesia is a horrifying thing. Oh yeah, for call- sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like, it is not. It is not. The genre horror, yeah, like, and I mean, to call this to call this movie the horror, the horrifying history of anesthesia, or the or a horrifying instance of the early days of anesthesia, is accurate, but is not horror horrifying in the way that movie girls are expecting that word to be used. Right, exactly, exactly. It's it is yes, one that is absolutely true. Yeah, it's it's again double billing with werewolves in the girls' dormitory. Right. Like I feel like you're creating a really interesting set. Of, like the person who created that double billing had to have seen this movie, right? Right. Like just as part of their job, presumably. Yes. And was like, "Nah, it'll be fine." <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know what I, that, that 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 I would like to meet that person because that person. It is- it is somebody Something. at MGM that knew the title of... Would put butts in a seat, basically. Yeah, the title of both of them. I mean, I'm sure that's why it's called Corridors of Blood, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Certainly yeah, Werewolf and Girls Dormitory is going to, to get. Yeah. And it's an Italian film, so you know there's going to be boobs, right? So, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously not, but... Um, <laughs> mindset of, of well, teenage right. I mean, like, in there's gonna There's... There, yeah, of course, but you know, you think you know. I'm sure that put a lot of butts in seats. That yeah. thought process. I a friend told me that there's going to be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh. <laughs> apparently, apparently, for some reason, Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitory was. Uh, Despite being Italian, was meant to be set in the United States. I I mean, isn't that the logical leap from like you know uh, what was the name of that? Uh, that was it Panther? Was it? Uh, oh, the Leopard. Yeah, yeah. The, leopard, the logical yeah. leap of having American actors star. It's just in... like setting your Italian movie in American yeah. Uh, America. Yeah. I mean, of course, of course, all the spaghetti westerns are meant to be American right. too. So yeah. you know. Yeah, not exactly an uncommon thing. Um, I love the actual villains' plots in this movie. Is to uh, at first just trick and then blackmail Doctor Bolton into signing death certificates by telling him that these people they have choked to death just died of natural causes, and then in having a legitimately doctor signed death certificate, they sell the bodies to Bolton's boss at the hospital. I know, it's so uh, wild, yeah. Who knows that they're criminals and that this is obviously all fake. Well, and that, and that's the, the one, one of the only thing I kind of didn't like about the movie is that was the idea that that was a thing that was going on was a was a a fear that existed in like contemporaneous with this uh, the story of this film, but was on regular occasions proven to be not true. Yeah. The idea that like, oh, doctors are and surgeries are are, you know, through through ill ill gotten means acquiring corpses is that one of those fears that like was never has never been true, but like keep just always keep showing up and it's just a weird thing to like that that you can be in a movie a, a hundred years later and be like yeah we're still gonna lay into this fear that everybody had and pretend yeah. it's true yeah right <laughs> i mean presumably at some point somewhere somebody did do that but like 
by and large, it wasn't true. And so, uh, but like it was, it's just interesting that like that weird circle that they had because like, why couldn't the doctor who was? I mean, I feel like they added a lot of extra people to the scheme that were kind of unnecessary, right? Yeah. Well, the the head of the the head of the hospital was working under plausible deniability, right? Well, uh, right. So he wasn't. I mean, he's not actually. He needs bodies for for to uh, you know teach his doctors how to do things, um, and he needs he needs bodies who died of natural causes so to speak, um, because he needs pristine bodies to, uh, so like he's, he's got every reason to not question these guys, but like even the movie suggests that he's questioning these guys, right? uh, which suggests some amount of involvement on his end, but the movie does not actually want us to think overall that he's involved with this. Well, yeah, I mean, he's not a bad guy. But at the same time, he is sort of coded as a bad guy because, like, he's also yeah because he's also the antagonist against our our hero. Yeah, they do put that. They do create a character, a very weird character there, in the sense that, like, we could have just we could have cleaned up that plot a little bit and just made him the bad guy, right? right? Yeah, but this movie doesn't actually want a a villain. Uh, no, not at all. Well, because it because mostly people, it wants it to be a historic. Now. It wants to be a historic. Uh, Absolutely. And almost biopic. And so, yeah, it's just the movie itself is at odds with what Day claims he wanted the movie to be. Right. And the movie itself is at odds even more so with what MGM claims the movie is in its title and uh, distribution. So, right, but and you know, and we've encountered that before, though. Too, yeah. The, uh, which is, of course, you know, that's common. Like, well, especially, we got to sell this shit, so yeah. And it's especially common for horror films of this era, right? Uh, but it's you know, there's still there's still movies that that happens with where where it gets framed as uh, as something that it's not. Um, sometimes even on purpose, like with the films of Nacho Vigalondo. Uh, Time Crimes was framed as a slasher movie when, in fact, it is a fairly innocuous time travel sort of psychological thing. Um, Colossal was formed as a giant monster, like, buddy comedy where it's actually an exploration of toxic masculinity and right. uh, a phenomenal movie. Um, so, you know, these things, they happen. And sometimes they happen on, on purpose with the creator's intention, right? <laughs> Such with Nacho Vigalondo's work, uh, whereas this, obviously, uh, as much as Day does not condemn producers or MGM in any of the interviews we've seen, I highly doubt that Corridors of Blood was his preferred preferred title for this. I don't. Oh think. yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, and even in 1959, this is not a This is not a horror movie by 1959 standards. So, I don't know. He keeps saying he wanted to make it a horror movie, and that he thinks he succeeded to that. And he thinks Corridor Blood is the better of the two films uh, that he did with Boris Karloff, which is true. well, that checks out. Uh, that is that's, accurate. That's true. Um, so, uh, but I don't know. It's not, it's not a horror movie by any means, and, but also it doesn't in tricking of the movie into th- in tricking an audience into thinking it's a horror movie. It's also not doing anything with that trickery. Like Volgando, at least, is doing something by having his movies marketed well, one way. Right, but but keep in mind if it's not purposeful, that that, that gets more complicated, right? Like right, in the sense that like. You know that that system only works if the the creator yeah. also is choosing to make that part of the experience, yeah. which but, very clearly Day doesn't seem to be wanting to do. But yeah, but again, in the same instance, Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitory suggests some sort of sexy romp that is definitely not what gets delivered with Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitory. Well, yeah. Having never seen it, I can guarantee it is not a sexy romp. Well, yeah, but I mean, but that, but that's a guarantee almost, right? Like that, that system, 
that system is as old as horror movies, right? Like it right. is. That's almost a different thing in the sense that forever it has worked that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> like they're all. It's always like that, right? And it's like, well, that's just you almost know, right? Like I mean, like the the moviegoer is already keyed into that. Yeah. Like there might be like women in their underwear. That probably is a thing that happens in that movie. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say. So like, you know, you know, they presumably your audience is, knows what they're signing up for roughly in that environment. They do not know what they're signing up for with Corridors of Blood even a little bit. Right. Because there's no way in hell looking at the original movie poster and the fact that it's got Boris Karloff in it and all this other stuff that you're going to play like, yes, this will be an investigation of the psyche of a man who desperately wants to help people. Right. But f- succumbs to addiction in the process. Right. Like that's, that's not what you're going to read that as for sure. Like, look at that original poster, Adam. Right. Like it's got the original things post- in it that are, that, that do happen in the movie, but have basically nothing to do with the movie. Right. We've got Karlov holding on his his knife as though he's contemplating stabbing a man or woman. Right. I can't really tell in the picture. Right. Then we've got we've got I think that's Christopher Lee's character. Yes. Strangling. Almost certainly. Not str- not actually strangling a woman because that doesn't happen yeah. in the movie. He just restrains her for a few seconds in the movie. <laughs> right. But we get that that frame as his Yeah. yeah. And the only person Karlov's character cuts up are patients who need surgery. Right. So presumably the person on the table is a patient who needs right. surgery. So it's like it's all I mean, it is it is a hyper level of misdirection in this one as compares to something like Werewolf in a Woman's uh, Girl's Dormitory, which is the standard expected level of deception for yeah. a horror movie. Yeah. And then the fact that, that all of the things under C on this title, body snatchers, casual booty, or uh, I'm sorry, cruel beauties. Uh, I like I like I like this other movie you invented called Casual Booties, which casual is booties. pretty that's awesome. A, I think that's a uh, '70s exploitation film. I'm sure, uh, definitely. Uh, no, uh, body sna- booty snatchers, body snatchers. Um, no, C body snatchers, C casual beauties. Or I keep saying casual. It's cruel. I know. Cool. I'm loving this. This is getting yeah. better because we've gotten every iteration of that. Yeah, cruel beauties. Those are all things that are like uh, that are the B plot to this movie. Right. <laughs> that don't absolutely. Even, yeah. If, that if barely that. have anything to do what's going on. And like it's got like it's got it's got yeah. a lot of upsell tops and terror. Yeah. The newest I'm, and most frightening role. Like it's. Yeah. I mean, the there's blood, a lot of sales in this. Yeah, blood curdling experimentation of Doctor Bolton, which is again accurate, but not, <laughs> but not, not, but what not actually what expect when they read. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, is all this carries over into the fact that, like, the description of this movie is "Corridors of Blood" is a 1958 horror film directed by Robert Day. It is not. Yeah. It is in no way that thing. Is how it's built. Everywhere I encounter it, and it is fascinating that the original lie of it permeates throughout the history of it, even to the day. You don't have to put the word horror film, because that's not accurate. Right. Anybody who's seen the movie can recognize that that's not accurate. But it still shows up, because that's how it was built. And that that alone is a fascinating thing to me. Yeah. That there's no extant revision of it to understand what is actually present in the film. And even the criterion release of it. Yep. Still builds it as a horror film. Still builds it as a, and it's and in puts the, it in a box the, set called monsters and mad men. Yeah. I mean, mad men is a stretch. Like for yeah, a person but, who's clearly most, just suffering for from most of the movies. So is monsters. So this is also true, but like, but monsters is less. Okay. A strangler is a proverbial monster. Yes. A doctor addicted to opium who's trying to help people <laughs> is neither a real just nor a proverbial monster. Yes, he's just a sad person. He's a person who wants to help people who has a very sad outcome. Now, of course. And nothing more than that. Tidying your film, Boris Karloff, sad man. It's not, <laughs> it's not going to get an audience super, either. Super sad doctor man. 
Yeah. Boris Karloff and Sad Doctor Man. <laughs> right. And Boris Karloff as the inventor of anesthesia. Uh, Sim- is also- colon, super sad yeah. man. Super sad Doctor yeah. Man. Yeah, no, I mean, to be fair, I kind of want, I think I know what the postcard for this month is going to be. <laughs> Excellent. Sad Just Boris this poster Karloff. with the, the, the title replaced, which will be the easiest thing I've ever done for this. <laughs> I really like that idea. Thank you. Please. Yes. You have to cut it out, though, so that people can, like, you know, not know that that's coming. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Boris Karloff as. <laughs> what is it? Inventor of anesthesia, anesthesia colon, super sad doctor man, is yes. uh, probably my greatest work that thus might, far. That might be too. You're going to have to put something, I'll, un, I'll un, have to some of that under the C category. Yeah, probably. Probably. C, I, we'll sad see. doctor man. See. Yes, he's, 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 he's super sad. See, Dr. Man. <laughs> exclamation points after each. Yeah, well, I guess uh, it's not. It's, it's, it's underlined instead of exclamation points under each. But anyway, uh, I, uh, I definitely love this. This, uh, I, I, this is too much fun, frankly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the bad guys in this are, are a are a B plot at best. And they don't well, even yeah, and really... the bad guys are, are run of the mill eighteen right. or you know, eighteen hundreds. Right. And they don't even they London don't even bag. blackmail into him into doing anything that's especially damaging to himself, right? Yeah, I mean like, the closest they get is um the uh is the fact that they like they don't even blackmail in, him into it, but it's the thing he wants, which is to break into that lab and get that right that sweet, sweet opium. Right. Right. He does. He's got to get his opium. Um, yeah. So, you know, obviously he should be disbarred or, or have his medical yeah, license. Not, the, the phrase we're not, we're not looking yeah. for the phrase disbarred, but yes. We are I definitely not looking for the phrase disbarred. But, you know, he, he should be uh, banned from being a doctor for this, probably. Uh, yes. But mostly because he just needs help. Yeah, mostly he's just in need of really serious help. Yeah. Um uh, and instead, he gets stabbed by Christopher Lee, which, uh, to be fair, and then burns Christopher Lee with acid. So you know, which is that. pretty rad. I mean, I guess, I guess you could build that one tiny segment as horror adjacent. Right? <laughs> that thirty-second fight sequence, that ten-second fight sequence. Let's be honest. Yeah, is 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 vaguely horror. I'm surprised man burned with acid didn't somehow get onto the. Original the poster. poster. C. Acid splash. Christopher Lee's acid deformed face. Somehow. Yeah. Uh. Part of the poster. Yeah. Uh, this is... Of the four, Atomic Submarine, definitely my favorite. But this is this is a close yeah, second. I, it's it's a tough one. It, it, in the category of actual horror films, Atomic <laughs> right, Submarine is my favorite. Right, obviously. In the category of like movies overall, it's a it's a toss up. It's yeah. a hard one because I like these two movies for radically different reasons. Um, in the category of uh, title accurate to what's happening in the movie, definitely bottom of the barrel on here. Right, uh, right, yeah. Atomic Submarine is probably checking in as the yeah, best Yeah, First now. Man Into Space qualifies on a technicality. Le- yeah, technically. <laughs> technically is accurate Yeah, uh, that he is, in fact, the first man into space. But, <laughs> yes. Uh, it's just, you know, we, it's been a while since we sat down and talked about why Criterion might have put this in. And I'm honestly just at a complete loss as to why I can't. Con- I cannot process thing. it. Yeah. Like I am. I. We've talked about that. We talked this a little bit off off mic. Yeah. But like one of the things that I think made especially the last movie so weirdly disjointed for us is we have we have never been able to settle on what the criteria in the Criterion Collection is. Right. This is a thing we've we've struggled with. We've talked about and just frankly kind of given up on, right? We we accepted a long time ago that there wasn't one, and and that was a fine right. conclusion to they come to. They can do whatever they want to do; it's their collection, sure. But but a thing that that also maps to that is the fact that that being said, you and I, I think, have built up what could be called a sort of um, a sort of have generated inside of ourselves 
an understanding of what fits and what doesn't fit, right? Yeah. Like the things that show up and don't show up in the Criterion Collection. Um, and part of that is probably the fact that there are very few horror films in this collection for, yeah. for a reason. Uh, and the ones we have encountered seem to be very purposeful choices, right? Um, sometimes not for good reasons, but 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 are. And this movie, not this one specifically, this one actually, if it was just in it by itself, I actually think would fit. In the sense that, like, it's a we- it's a we- it's a weird sidestep, like you know, if you took this one solely by itself and we're like, oh yeah, this is a movie made by a horror director featuring a horror actor that is not a horror movie that pretended right. to be a horror movie in order to get into the box offices and get sales yeah. that seems like a thing that the criterion collection might throw in right but all the lead-up stuff especially your your haunted stranglers and your first man in space don't actually feel like they fit in the collection by whatever sort of weird mental criteria we've built right Especially right. Haunted Strangler. Like, the the first man in space is, is stupid enough that it, like, it sort of fits into the genre of, like, weird first movie this idiot made. And then that we get sometimes, you know? Right. Uh, whereas Haunted Strangler just doesn't, doesn't even fit in that environment. It It is just... It, it is... It is almost upsetting when you encounter it and you're like, I know there's no rules on this, but I feel like there were rules. And and a thing I've been, we we talked about as well is the fact that like, we knew that intellectually with Armageddon, but never processed, but we didn't have enough experience with the Criterion Collection to know it instinctually the way we do now. And like uh, an example of Croydon Gordon, Joint productions, Fiend Without a Face, sure. Fiend Without a Face, also not a great movie. But. No, but seems to be a good, like, if you wanted to say, like, what's this guy's movie thing all yeah. about? It's here, a fine example this of, a weird, of a weird yeah. six, 50s, 60s monster movie. Yeah. Right. Um, the idea that this entire box set is meant to showcase the Gordon's production sensibilities uh, this is also Richard Gordon is not actually credited as a producer on any of the movies we've watched here. Uh, okay. He is an uncredited executive producer on Fiend Without a Face, uh, First Man into Space, Corridors of Blood, and uh, The Haunted Strangler. Alex is a credited producer of uh, The Atomic Submarine. Okay. Um, but but Richard's name is not even attached to that, and Alex's name is not attached to any of these ones. Um, presumably amalgamated. Anything that came under amalgamated, they are both executive producers of. But uh, but none of their names were actually attached by name to to anything except for the atomic submarine. And that's right. interesting in a these guys behind the scenes of, you know, uh, an amalgamated pictures, uh, you know, retrospective, sure. Uh, but I don't know. But also my impression when I, I – I don't know where, when, but in one of these episodes I was reading the Wikipedia and, like, stumbled upon information about amalgamated – Pictures like they didn't exactly exist for a super long time. Yeah, like we're not talking about like the people who invented, you know, modern horror. Or something. You know what I mean? It just doesn't have that prestige yeah. to it. And they're not. They're not. It's not Hammer, right? Who is working well, at exactly. the same time? So, yeah, and it's just I don't know. I I don't know why. They're here, but also again, Criterion can can put whatever what's in. For they can't. Reason. They can't. You know. But but and, but you know, they I, need. I they, think they... even even recently, you know, with the announcement of of Spine One Thousand being a Godzilla box set, 
you know, I have openly complained about people who complain about Godzilla right, being yeah. in the Criterion Collection. This weird, this weird second, the third element yeah. removed, right? Yeah. Um, but I can see the Godzilla films as influential in their own right and oh, societally important. Absolutely. Uh, also. No argument. <clears throat> and with none of these movies do I see any sort of societal importance or... Genre importance. Right. And the issue is is that sometimes we get those kind of movies, but they're usually attached to a, a creator who has some right. significance or important. I'm not getting that here with yeah. this either. You know, late career Boris Karloff movies? Sure. Yeah. I, that's fine. Um, late career is also in sort of air quotes, right? There, Right. He's going to continue making movies for another... 13 20, years almost, at least. Yeah, 13 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's that too yeah uh <laughs> plus the the first two aren't aren't Boris Karloff at all uh as I guess we don't have any necessarily good examples otherwise of American late 50s sci-fi other than what we've seen so no but there are sure. definitely better examples yes out also there. Also, but then then you also deal with the criterion being limited by the fact that they normally don't release things that have already had a wide release or absolutely. But I yeah. I, w- I will go on on a really far limb that late fifties has plenty of sci fi to choose from. Also, it doesn't have a wide release. Like I I that that I understand where you're coming from, but like. Choosing this to match your theme rather than choosing an actual good late 50s, like, sci-fi. Because, like, there, I, I refuse to believe that there are no generally unknown late 50s sci-fi, like, good but generally unknown late 50s sci-fi films. Like, uh, untapped resources. I refuse. Because think about the last time you saw a late 50s sci-fi film just in your day-to-day life. Yeah. Like, it's not like you go to, like, Walmart and it's, like, there's, you know, seven, like, rows of, like, well, we've been re-releasing late 50s sci-fi here. Right. And and uh, there are there are better examples of what all of these are trying to be. Like, the absolutely. day the earth stood still. As, right. And if you can't get that. political sci-fi. Yeah. But there's got, there's got to be more. There's just, I mean, there, there just has to be. I, I, I it's, and, 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 you know. Again, we we don't we don't know how they choose what they choose or any of that, but we can know viscerally when things don't fit, and yeah. that is definitely true in this case. So take it, take that, you know, take that how you will. But right, I I spend a fair amount of time going like, why am I watching this? Not so much with Corridors of Blood, because, again, I really enjoyed it for some weird reason. <laughs> like, I really deeply connected and enjoyed, like, on a, like, I'm not, like, going to buy it, but, like, I enjoyed watching it, which is, was a surprise. Right. Especially after the Haunted freaking Strangler, otherwise known as Judas Hole. <laughs> Judas Hole. Oh man, I still can't believe that that was ever a phrase. Yep, but it's an amazing one that I need to, I guess, bring up in regular conversation. I feel like it's yeah. going to get me in trouble. Just work, work Judas Hole into things. I think any any phrase with hole in it is going to get you. It's going to get you in trouble. Yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> oh man. Well, I think we could probably draw this to a close then. Closing the book on the Monsters and Mad Men box set that we really still don't know why Criterion wanted to show us. But you know what? Just for just for the box art on the box set. Yeah, no, the box art is great. Down. Yeah, box it's art great. Is pretty it's good. phenomenal. All the art is phenomenal. Uh, <clears throat> this week we've been talking about Quarters of Blood, directed by Robert Day from 1958. Uh, next week we start a different, very different box set, uh, but also a, uh, you know, so so much of the Criterion 
idea that what you what you have when you think about Criterion movies is auteurs, uh, you know, directors who who take over things and, and are are singularly talented. Uh, next week we start a box set dedicated to an actor, Paul Robeson. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this whole thing. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very excited to move this uh, move through this. Uh, every spine in the box set is its own double feature, so we'll be covering two two films. Because Criterion wants to make least. sure they punish us whenever yes, possible. Of course. Uh, so we will be watching at least two films per, because um, occasionally there's a a documentary also. Yeah, sometimes we're watching three or four. Yeah, uh, but we uh, will spend our next four weeks moving through. Paul Robeson, Portraits of the Artist, uh, and greatly look forward to that. Thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Lee Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oritari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorian and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it.